Hey everyone, welcome back to our last week of our series, Wilds, where we have been discovering the heart of God. I've missed gathering with you all and I hope that everyone is staying safe and healthy. Last week, I came across Psalm 95 verses 1 to 7. And as I was reflecting on this psalm, I ended up scrapping all of my notes on what I was going to share today. I found myself trying to write something that would be relevant, but I kept hitting roadblock after roadblock. And it took God nudging me for a while to actually listen to what I believe he wanted me to say. He told me, there's nothing I need to add to this, and this is what needs to be heard. So I'm not going to let myself get in the way and just read it to you. Take a minute to reflect on these words as an invitation as we lead into worship. Psalm 95 verses 1 to 7. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice.
week of our online series and I know this has been a very different way to do church for a lot of us 
but don't underestimate the power of learning together and the importance of taking time to invest in your faith right now. This whole series, we have been having this look at the heart of God and challenging some of our assumptions that our culture has about God and opening scripture and allowing God to show us who he is. So far, he's shown us that he is wild, someone to be feared, but in a way that makes us in awe of him. Then we went on to talk about God as this roaring advocate who roars against injustice, advocates for our desires, and roars for our freedom. Then last week, we looked at God as a victorious warrior who wants us to give him our battles to fight. And we can practice trusting God to fight those battles by making five choices, choosing to pray, choosing to bring others along with us, choosing to wait for God's direction, choosing to dress for battle, and then choosing to worship. And now, on our last week of this series, we're going to discover how God is insanely passionate. You know, it's always kind of shocked me the lengths that people will go because they're passionate about someone. I guess I've always just like been this kind of skeptic when it comes to love stories. Not that I don't like them, but I just have a really hard time believing that they're true most of the time. You know, like those kind of uh, Hallmark type Christmas movies. I'll watch them because they're entertaining and fun to watch with friends, but like, do they actually expect that anyone believes that you could go to a European country, let's say, sneak into a castle, pretend to be a tutor, fall in love with a prince, and then days later he flies to your home city to propose to you on New Year's? Like, sure, they're displaying passion, but I have a hard time believing that something like that could actually be true. And you're probably thinking, well, that's not meant to be realistic. And okay, those types of movies might be overly dramatic, but what about the Bachelor franchise? I'll be the first to admit that I love watching The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, but I'll also be the first to point out how seemingly unrealistic it all is. Such as this current season when Claire, the Bachelorette, said that she just met her husband right after meeting Dale for the first time, and then two weeks later they leave the show because they know that they're the one for each other. Sure, it makes good TV, but I have a hard time believing it to be true. Or how about this person I follow on Instagram? He meets this girl on Instagram, and then that week he drives 20 hours to go meet her. He didn't know anything about her, yet he was willing to go great lengths because I guess he was passionately interested in her. I have a hard time believing that to be true. And maybe you're like me, where you're skeptical of these acts of passion, or maybe you love them and buy every single word. Either way, culture has in some ways made it hard to distinguish what has been fabricated and what is true. And when it comes to the love story that we find in the Bible, some of us find it easy to jump on and believe the passionate love that God shows us in scripture, while others of us wonder if it's just fabricated and find it hard to believe. But let's try to put culture aside for a moment and look solely at what scripture says about God being insanely passionate for his people. If you have your Bibles or your phone, you can open up to Isaiah 9, as we're going to spend the rest of our time there today. And to give you some context of this book of the Bible, this is a book of prophecy that's found in the Old Testament. And it was written approximately 700 years before Jesus was born. And throughout the book, God calls the people out for the wrong that they've done and how they've turned away from him. 
And then it speaks about the consequences that they are going to face because of it. But it also speaks about forgiveness and mercy. And in the midst of calling them out and telling them their consequences, God speaks through Isaiah to tell the people about the restoration that they will experience. And not just the restoration from captivity, which they were in, but the ultimate restoration that all of humanity will receive. And as Isaiah is speaking about the darkness that people are experiencing, he says that there will come a time where a light will shine. And then it says this in Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God tells the people about what is to come, that he is sending his son to the earth, and he makes this clear by saying, to us a child is born, saying that this child is in fact a human and a human that has a starting point. He's not just going to be zapped down to earth and created as an already grown man like Adam. He's going to come into the world as every other human comes into the world. And then he says, to us a son is given. At first this seems like he's just repeating what he already said, but he's in fact telling us that the child that is to be born is to be a son and not only a son, but God's son. This child would be fully human and fully God at the same time. And then it goes on to speak the purpose of who we would know as Jesus would be. And he says the government will be on his shoulders, meaning that he would have all the authority, that he would be king of kings and lord of lords, that he would be ruler of all of humanity and govern in a way that was just and full of mercy and grace. And then the passage ends with this. It says the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The word zeal can mean two things in scripture. It can speak to the positive, passionate interest or love of something, or it can speak to the negative interest, meaning uh, jealousy or envy. But in this case, the Hebrew word is kina, which means to ardor or passion. The passion translation of the Bible quotes this verse saying, the marvelous passion that the Lord Yahweh, commander of angel armies, has for his people will ensure that it is finished. The same word, kina, is also used by King David in Psalm 69, 9, where he says, my zeal for your house consumes me. And this passage is then quoted in the Gospel of John when Jesus goes into the temple and creates a whip to drive away the merchants. The zeal for God's people was consuming him that he became actively passionate. Do you have a hard time believing that God is actively passionate about humanity? Do you have a hard time believing that God is actively passionate about you? I think we can preach and say this all we want, that God loves us, that he's passionate about us. But do we actually believe it? Do we believe that God did this incredibly passionate gesture, sending his son as a child so that he could be even closer to us and make a way for us to spend eternity with him? That's the ultimate passionate act. Yet, do we actually believe it? For myself, here is how I know that I can believe it. I mentioned at the beginning that I have this hard time believing love stories with big passionate gestures, yet there is one story I've never had a hard time believing, and that is my parents. 
My parents have been married for 35 years. They met at Bible college, which is way too classic for pastors, and got married in their early 20s. And as they were pursuing each other, there were some big gestures to show that they loved each other and to get each other's attention. Gestures of surprises and gifts and, of course, a proposal. But those great acts of passion aren't what come to mind when I think of them showing their love to each other. What comes to mind when I think of my parents' love is how my dad will fill the kettle and set out my mom's coffee for her every night before he goes to bed so that she has it ready for when she wakes up. I think of the way that they'll send texts to each other just to encourage each other and say I love you. I think of the way that they handle conflict and offer each other so much grace even when it seems undeserving. And I think about the way that they still have fun together. After 35 years into their marriage, they still go on dates frequently. And those small acts of love help me to believe the great gestures that they've made to each other because it's been proven that their love is more than just one great moment, but it's a bunch of these small, beautiful moments. And maybe you have a hard time believing the greatest gesture that God gave in sending his son to earth, but can you believe that beyond the story of Jesus coming to earth, that he's daily showing us his insanely passionate love in these small ways? This scripture talks about Jesus, the wonderful counselor, because each day he is attentive to our emotions, our brokenness and pain guiding us in the decisions that we make and affirming us as we try to figure out life. He's called mighty God because like we talked about last week, he takes on our battles and says, I'm gonna fight this one. You may have to face it, but it's my job to fight it. He's called everlasting father. And like a good father, he promises to be present in our daily lives and be there to celebrate the good and be a shoulder to cry on when we go through those hard seasons. And then he's called Prince of Peace because while the world is chaotic and brings about worry and anxiety, he promises that we can go to him and we will find peace. And because of these things, because of the way God daily interacts with us, I then have no trouble believing in his greatest gesture of all. God is insanely passionate about you. And as we celebrate this Christmas season and are reminded of his love for us, I think that we can take some action steps to receive that love. You know, I've been kind of sad about Christmas this past week or two. I'm not a huge fan of Christmas to begin with, but I do love the time that I get to spend with my family and my friends and, and some of the traditions that we have together. And it hit me this past week how I won't get to dress up fancy and go out with my friends like we do every year. I won't get to set up my parents' Christmas tree with the whole family and watch as my sister and my dad dance to you raise me up as they put the star on top of the tree. I'm sad that I can't go into stores and search for the Christmas gifts I wanna give people or go for those Christmas light drives with my sisters. And then I had the realization the other day while these moments that have made Christmas really special for me in the past and are good and meaningful, I've always kind of hated how it felt like Christmas was never actually about celebrating Jesus and was more about celebrating people and moments. And while Christmas this year is stripped back for most of us, maybe it's actually a good thing. Maybe that means that we can get to focus on God's passion for us. Maybe it means that we can focus on the greatest love gesture of all time and God sending his son to earth for us. 
Maybe it means that we can remember all the small ways that God is present in our lives. And even when we lose tradition and parties and everything that has made Christmas Christmas for us, we can focus on what makes God love us. So if there was one thing that I could say to our community this Christmas season, it would be whenever you feel discouraged, whenever you feel sad about what you feel like you're losing, whenever you can't celebrate the holidays and tradition like you always have, and you almost have to grieve all of those moments that you're losing. Whenever you feel those emotions, take a moment and let that be what reminds you to reflect on the insane passion that God has for you. The whole purpose that this season started in the first place was to do just that. And so as a community, let's take this season to remember that God is wild about you, that he is a roaring advocate who's advocating on your behalf, that he is a victorious warrior who wants to fight your battles, and that he is insanely passionate about you.